Welcome to the Littler Labor and Employment Podcast, conversations about employment and labor law issues that impact the workplace. Hello and welcome. My name is Marissa Dragu and I'm an attorney with our Littler Learning Group. Today I'm talking to Deidre Wen, an experienced attorney with our San Diego office who practices throughout California and Washington State. And today we are discussing fair and predictable work scheduling laws that have really taken hold not just in San Francisco as you might suspect, but across the entire West Coast and beyond. So thank you for joining me today, Deidre. Thanks, Marissa. Happy to be here. And Deidre, before we go on, I do want to let our listeners know that you have written a very thorough insight on this very topic that they can find in our news and analysis page on littler.com. So let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, Some of us have heard of these fair, predictable work schedule laws, uh, but I imagine there's a lot of folks out there who are not very familiar with them. Would you mind giving us a little bit of an overview? I'd be happy to. Yeah, this is something that actually has been around for a while in San Francisco, but in other places we have seen a real uptick in the number of predictive scheduling laws with actually a total of four new jurisdictions taking effect this year. So if anybody listening is not yet familiar, I'm sure they're not alone. Now, uh, somewhat like paid sick leave, fair scheduling laws really vary by jurisdiction, but they're really seven lucky components that you're likely to see in a fair scheduling law. So the first would be a good faith estimate of the employee's anticipated work schedule. So this is when you've got a new employee coming into the organization, the obligation to give them a sense of what they can anticipate in terms of a work schedule. Now, the type of detail that you'll need to provide, that's going to differ by jurisdiction. And actually in some cases, employers are required to update the good faith estimate on a regular basis or if there are changes. A second component is the concept that employees have a right to request input into their work schedule. Now this could be the biggest change from the perspective of scheduling managers who are used to thinking that they've got the right to unilaterally set employee schedules. Under these new predictive scheduling laws, employees have the right to have some say in how their scheduled, and that can really be a mind shift change for managers. Third is the right to rest between work shifts, and so that means that employees cannot be required to work within a certain number of hours of their previous shift, and currently that's either 10 or 11 hours depending upon the jurisdiction. Fourth is the right to advance notice of what the work schedule is going to be. Most jurisdictions require that employers provide employees with at least 14 days advance notice of what their shifts will be. Fifth is the right to decline any employer requested change to that work schedule once it's been posted and provided to employees. And here too, this is another big change for scheduling managers who can no longer just make unilateral changes to the schedule and then discipline employees who fail to timely report to work under that revised schedule or who refuse to work the revised schedule. Sixth, this is a big bugaboo for employers, compensation for schedule changes. So if the employee agrees to accept a schedule change, there's a requirement that really gives teeth to these fair scheduling laws requiring employers to actually pay additional compensation to changes to the schedule that's made after notice. And then lucky number seven is the duty to offer available work hours to existing employees before you go out and hire new employees externally. And the idea here is really to give your existing workforce a chance to work more hours to boost up their schedules rather than allowing employers to immediately supplement their workforce with new workers. And it's just that simple. 
Oh, just that simple, huh, Deidre? Thank you for laying that out for us. And we'll uh, get some details from you as far as what exactly employers can do to really handle all of the logistics that come along with uh, all of these expectations. But first, you mentioned that there are four new jurisdictions that are implementing the laws this year. Can you give us an overview of, you know, which jurisdictions and when we're going to see these laws going into effect? Absolutely. So the four new jurisdictions taking effect this year, either because they already have or will by the end of the year, are San Jose, California, Emeryville, California, Seattle, Washington, and then New York City, New York. Those are the, the laws that will be in effect in 2017. And in addition, there is Oregon, which is the only jurisdiction to impose fair scheduling laws on a statewide basis, and that law is going to go into effect on July 1st of 2018. And of course, we've got the OG, which is San Francisco, and has been in effect for quite some time. Okay, so still a whole lot to keep track of here, but I imagine that these laws cannot possibly apply to all employers. Is that the case? Do we have targeted employers? Is there some sort of employee minimum or how are these laws being implemented? You're absolutely right, and the short answer is it varies. You probably saw that coming. <laughs> In every jurisdiction except for San Jose, fair scheduling laws are really targeted at specific industries, and the industries that are most commonly targeted are the retail and restaurant employers. Now, the Oregon law, it bears noting, also targets hotel and motel employers. In terms of the size of employer affected, again, it really varies. Some of the laws require a minimum employee headcount uh, or a minimum number of locations and that can be either within the jurisdiction or worldwide. So you really have to look at the law to see whether your organization applies. Got it. Thanks, Deidre. Um, and what about family-friendly workplace laws? Is that something similar or how are these laws different? The concept of input into the work schedule is similar. The family-friendly workplace laws are primarily about giving employees a formalized avenue or procedure to request changes to their work schedules so that they can accommodate their obligations and commitments that they have outside of work. The employer, of course, ultimately has the final say in whether to grant the request, but the employer does have the obligation to fairly consider the request. The employer can't just reject it out of hand. And in a sense, I think of these family-friendly workplace ordinances as being a little bit more about the journey than the destination. It isn't so much about whether the employer was ultimately correct or made the right decision about whether to grant the employee's request for input into their work schedule. It's, it's really more about whether the employer followed the process and gave the employee a fair chance to be heard and considered the request in good faith. That makes sense. And, and so you just mentioned a whole slew of West Coast cities and, of course, Oregon that has implemented these laws, um, along with New York, of course. But do you see a trend from here? Where do you think these laws will continue, either on a regional or even national basis? Well, in terms of where we are likely to see fair scheduling laws next pop up, there are some rumblings of a Chicago Fair Work Week ordinance. I'm not aware of any activity since the measure was introduced in June of this year of 2017, but that might be next on the docket. And in New York, the governor has directed the Department of Labor there to hold some hearings to discuss implementation of a statewide predictive scheduling regulation. So stay tuned there, especially for New York City employers, you might have some potentially dueling commitments to comply to. And in terms of California, there was a statewide scheduling law that was considered this year but didn't quite make the cut for this legislative session, and we're thinking we're likely to see that resurface next year. So stay tuned. 
Great, great information, Deidre. So you've given us a lot to think about here, but what about some practical day-to-day -day advice? Um, there's a whole lot of implications from, from you know, managing schedules to taking into account employee requests and whatnot. What would be your advice to our employers in terms of keeping track of this on a practical level? Yeah, you know, these laws really put the onus on employers to be careful and deliberative when they're scheduling employees. When it comes to actually creating schedules that are going to stick and won't lead to costly changes, managers might find it helpful to have some historical data that they can rely on regarding business patterns, customer patterns, you know, the idea being here that they need some tools to accurately predict their stores or their location scheduling needs. And of course, on the payroll side, employers might find it helpful to automate the process of flagging when that additional compensation could be due, either because there's been a scheduling change and the hours worked to differ from what the posted schedule showed, or because employees are working within that rest shift, those either 10 or 11 hours between the two shifts. Okay, Deidre, so let me hear the best of the best. Do you have a top three tips for employers to handle these laws? Ooh, okay, hard to narrow it down, but let me say this. It's not just about adopting a handbook policy here. We really think employers should do more to comply with these complex and varying laws. Now, first and foremost, obviously, employers need to take a look at whether any predictive scheduling laws actually apply to their business, and that's going to be based on their headcount, their industry, number of facilities, and of course, their physical location. Second, because these laws represent such a significant shift in the way that managers view scheduling, employers should really consider training their managers about predictive scheduling, what's required, what the procedural requirements are in particular. And let's be real, if manager turnover is too high to make training effective, then employers might want to consider adopting some internal or manager-facing policies and procedures as a tool to orient managers to these scheduling requirements. Requirements. And then I guess last but certainly not least, many of the fair scheduling laws require some type of documentation when we're not just talking about policies here, but for example, documentation of employee requested schedule changes, employee consent to work within the rest period, those types of things. In addition to creating a handbook policy and maybe some internal manager-facing policies, employers should get to work on developing some template forms to satisfy those documentation requirements. Really great advice, Deidre. Thank you so much. Now, bigger picture here, as far as legal implications, what do you see coming down the pike? Do you think there's a possibility for an onslaught of single plaintiff lawsuits if there isn't compliance with these laws? And hopefully not, but possibly class action litigation. What, what do you think is the real potential danger for noncompliance here? Yeah, you know, it's a little too, too soon to tell. Most of the laws do explicitly allow for a private cause of action, and of course the laws do allow for some administrative enforcement as well. It bears noting here actually that the cities of Seattle, Washington, and Emeryville, California have both announced a soft launch of their predictive scheduling laws, and that will last through the end of the year. So what that means is that even though the laws are in effect and on the books in those jurisdictions and employers need to fully comply, the agencies there have indicated that they won't be enforcing fines or penalties against employers. So employers really need to make the most of this soft launch period and the fact that the New York City and Oregon laws aren't yet in effect. Now is really the opportunity to get your policies and procedures in order. Definitely. So any final thoughts or observations here, Deidre? 
Well, if I can make a prediction, wink, wink, uh, I, I think that predictive scheduling could be the next paid sick leave uh, in terms of the complexity and the variation between state and local laws. So I think we have an opportunity here to kind of get ahead and tackle it from the ground up. And of course, we here at Littler, we're ready, willing, available, and happy to help. Awesome. Thank you so much, Deidre. And thank you to all of our listeners for additional information and to check out Deidre's far more thorough insight on this very topic. Check out littler.com. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.